Praise the Lord. Aren't we glad we know him that way today? Thank you, Lord. Let's turn today, if you would, to the book of Psalms. Psalms 51. Greetings today in the name of the Lord. We did a wonderful privilege for us to be able to gather together. Psalms 51, verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me truly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. Now David was not saying he had not harmed Uriah, nor was he saying he had not harmed Bathsheba. But the greatest penalty that he was dealing with was he had sinned against the Lord. And we know when we do wrong, we may do something against our brother or our friend or our wife or our husband, but really the one we sin against the most is the Lord. And I love David's attitude because he wasn't like a lot of people that they do wrong and say, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, okay, I did wrong, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, let's just go on now. But David wanted it to be clear that whatever God did, that God should not be judged. So if God punished David, if God whipped David, as we would say, he said he was the one who did wrong, not God. It's amazing how many people blame the Lord when they mess up, isn't it? Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest to me clear when thou judgest. How many like to be remembered as we pray today? Brother Timber dead, I'd heard from him just an hour or so ago, and he had to rush his wife, Sister Lane, back to the doctor, and she had passed out on him this morning, so they're giving her fluids, doing blood work, things like that, so I know they'd certainly appreciate us praying for her today. We also have a prayer call, so the Lord knows the need of today. How many has a need in your life, your walk with God? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, it's with great humility that we approach you today. Also with thanksgiving in our hearts that we can be called your children, called, forgiven, redeemed, justified. Lord, we ask you today that you would help us. You alone can open your word and make it real. Anybody that can read can be able to turn back the pages of the Bible and be able to read these verses but you're the author of the book and you're the only one that can really make what's in it alive to us. We pray that you would do that today. Lord, you see the need of every individual that raised their hand. You see this prayer cost, Lord. 
You see, dear God, the need of this this person there, Lord, we're asking you for your mercy to them. Great loss in their family, possibly facing another. May the Spirit of God move for them. Lord, we pray for Sister Elaine Burdett today that you'd be with her. Brother Tim texted me back just a few minutes ago saying they're giving her fluids and we pray for your mercy to our sister. Lord, we know there's a lot of sickness going on, flu, COVID, different types of viruses, but we believe you're God over the viruses, God over the flu, God over everything. Speak to us today. Minister to the needs of your people, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It's hard for me to imagine, I have to be honest, how that David by this time must have felt. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. I doubt there's a person here today that doesn't have regrets of all kinds of things in life. Not only of the way we've treated the Lord, but of the way we've treated others. Maybe things that we've done and said that If we could do it over, we certainly would do it over again. But I can't say that I've ever stood where David is standing. Never had a man killed, never taken another man's wife, never done all the lying and conniving that David had to do to make this happen. And then after it happened, apparently he thinks he can be able to go right on and everything will be just fine. As a matter of fact, the prophet quotes this and he says that David, whenever he had taken Uriah's wife, that David actually thought he could hide it from God, which is really amazing to me how anyone can think they could hide anything from God. But it shows whenever we backslide and go to getting away from the Lord, uh, we may not be doing what a lot of people in the world would do, but yet in our heart. We just are not loving him the way we used to and not feeling toward him the way we used to. And we find ourselves not only feeling that way toward the Lord, but toward people and to the church and to his body and all of that. So it was a long scenario that had now developed and David has finally, his conscience has caught up with his wrong and he's been smitten. And you can hear him as he's reaching out to God and he's certainly a broken man. And he's acknowledging his sin. He's acknowledging that he'd done a terrible, terrible wrong. Many of them actually broke four of the Ten Commandments in doing this. And yet somehow the mercy of God was still there for David. Now, we've left him here for a couple of weeks and I'm sure it's been hard on you all. It's been hard on me because he's one of my favorite Bible characters. I just have to be honest and say. And I used to say, I've said it to you before, that I thought what grace of God to Bathsheba. But actually after preaching this, I've thought what grace of God to David. So I guess we've all kind of been there to where we look down our nose at people and we think, poor old so-and-so, poor old so-and-so. Boy, it'll be the grace of God if they ever get to heaven, won't it? But I think the more we look at ourselves, the more we realize it'll be the grace of God if you make it. It'll be the grace of God if any of us make it. As far as worthy, there's none of us, of course, that are worthy in our natural birth. But let us, let us resume here in Psalm 51, if you would, and let's look in verse 7. David goes on to say, purge me with hyssop, 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, I can't say again that I understand why it's taken so long for this guilt to catch up with him. But somehow he had hardened his heart. He had become indifferent toward the Lord and had become indifferent toward wrong in thinking that he would be able to get by with this. But now it's all kind of caught up with him. And he's, he's a scriptural man. He's a man that still loves the Lord. And I hope you understand this. He's still a man that is after God's own heart. And he's a man that God had made a covenant with before this ever happened. And even though he's done wrong, God will never let that covenant go. So notice he says, purge me with hyssop. Now this was a common weed. It first shows up to us in the book of Exodus when the children of Israel are going to leave the land of Egypt. So it was a weed that was very common. You didn't have to go to Evergreen to get it. You didn't have to go to a special plant shop to be able to get it. But it was everywhere. So they were to take hyssop. They were to dip it in the spilled blood and be able to put it over the lintel and the doorpost of their home. So they did the same thing with the cleansing of leprosy. They also did the same thing in the cleansing of a person who had touched a dead body. So David is recognizing that what he has done is a horrible sin. So it's associated with death. It's associated with leprosy, which is sin. It is associated with the angel of death. If God had not been merciful to David, his own judgment would have been pronounced upon him. Now, look at how fast repentance can be able to stand between mercy and justice. Because David's own judgment was, let the man who has done this, when Nathan the prophet told him about the parable, and he said, let the man who has done this, he must surely die. And Nathan said, you're the man. But David repented and repented in such a genuine way that God said to Nathan, Nathan to David, you shall not surely die, but the sword will never leave your house. Look how fast repentance can be able to spare someone's life. I love repentance myself. I thank God for it. How many still needs it? Well, praise the Lord about everybody. Well, that's good. Now, David is now, though, at the spot to where he's feeling so saddened. He's feeling so heavy and so burdened. And it's like he cannot say it enough. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And we know that whenever we repent, it's not that God requires us to say it over and over and over and over again. We don't believe that we have to do penance. We do not believe that we have to say so many Hail Marys and all that sort of thing. But when we genuinely do it and do it once, as far as God is concerned, that's enough. But what I'm seeing is a man that recognizes he's done so wrong and he's fell so far. Remember, this is not now a little shepherd boy which is in his teens, but it's a middle-aged man which is the king of Israel. 
So had he been a shepherd boy, hardly nobody would have even known it. Maybe his mother, his father, possibly his brothers. But now not only does David know it, the kingdom knows it, the enemy knows it, all kinds of people know what this man has done. No doubt as he's feeling the layers of his sin, he's repenting in different stages. Repenting to God, repenting to his kingdom, repenting to his family, repenting to Bathsheba. Remember, Bathsheba had no rights and we we have no recording in the scripture that she was actually guilty on any part. If she would have refused him, he could have absolutely have her killed. Remember, in those days, there was nobody above the king as far as the law. Now, we know how it is in our politics today that people think they can do certain things and get by with it, and some of them can. It depends on how far they up. You know, the politicians today can get by with things that you and I would try to do. We'd be thrown in jail, and they'd throw away the key. But our politicians do it all the time, and because of who they are, they can get by with it. Is that right? That's right, oh, they'll have all kind of hearings and nobody ever, hardly ever gets thrown in jail. But yet David, it was the same way in the sense of who's gonna penalize him? Oh, but you see, there was one that was still above David and that was God. And God had a prophet who was not afraid to walk into David's court and condemn the man for the sin that he had done. But now the condemnation is no longer necessary. We don't find Nathan ever coming back again and reminding him, remember, 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 remember. It was not necessary now because David's hardened conscience had been awakened by the sword of the Spirit. And David was so smitten, there wasn't a day went by. I dare say there wasn't an hour that went by that he had not thought about what he had done. How could I have done this? How could I have stooped so low? And we know it's a delicate balance because the Lord wants us truly repent and then the Lord wants us to accept his forgiveness for that. But I hope you understand what I'm gonna say that myself, I worry about people that do terrible wrongs and they just say, well, I'm sorry, you know, so what, I did wrong, and I'm okay now. That really troubles me because you think, do they understand the weight of what they have done? Do they understand the consequences of what they have done? And then on the other hand, I worry about people that do wrong and they're just constantly repenting, repenting, month in, month out, year in, year out. You know, to me, there's gotta be a balance in there somewhere that we find that spot to where, you know how it is even with your children. When they do wrong and you tell them that they're wrong and you correct them and you deal with them however you correct your children and you don't want them being wrong for so long and feeling under that oppression of being wrong that they just become so despondent they don't want to live. Then you know you've penalized them to such a severe level they don't want to live no more, right? And it's the same way with the Spirit of God. He wants us to feel wrong, to know that we've done wrong, but he wants us to accept that forgiveness and be able to not only allow him to forgive us, but for us to forgive ourselves. 
I don't know about you, I'm my worst one when it comes to condemning and all that sort of thing. If I trespassed against many of you, you would forgive me, might hurt your feelings and all of that, and I would forgive you, but for me, I'm the worst one. Oh, I just pick, I pick it, I pick it, I go on and pick it. I won't forgive myself, I knew better, I should have, I should have, and I say I'm not the only one. And David is still under this time is it the wrong time? Is he at the right stage? <clears throat> Forgive me. I think that David is still in this delicate balance, <clears throat> trying to find that spot. But David sees the measure of what he's done. Now remember the way that Nathan likened it. He likened it that David was a sheep stealer, even though it was uh, Uriah's wife, but it was something that was so dear. And David had stolen something that cost him nothing. So the way the prophet conveys it, he conveys that it was Uriah that took this little sheep and raised it up and nurtured it and fed it and taken care of it. And David, it cost him nothing and no investment whatsoever in the sheep, but he took something that did not belong to him. And this is the way that Nathan sets it forth. And God doesn't like sheep stealing. No, he doesn't. Whether it's a king or a preacher or whoever it is, God has a major problem with it. And if you're a Christian, you should too. But yet the way that God conveys it was this man had invested so much time and so much labor and so much work in the sheep and David thought nothing of that. All David wanted was something that would satisfy his passions at the time and he sent her back home. She was now defiled. So David is going through all of these layers of this sin which had accumulated. No doubt it was over a period of time and now it's at that spot to where he's realizing he needs cleansing. Now he goes on to say in verse eight, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now it had been some time since he'd been able to enjoy his joy of the salvation the Lord had given him under the Old Testament dispensation. So he was depressed, he was sad, he was weary, he was despondent. Now we're talking about the sweet psalmist of Israel. We're talking about a man that would write songs that we still sing to this day a man that was so inspired and could pick up an instrument and all of a sudden the Lord just come to him and give him words that are so anointed that we rejoice in them to this very hour. Is that right? But yet, even this man which had been so blessed by God, no doubt he would pick up his harp and he couldn't play. He would pick up and, and go back and look at the songs that the Lord had given him and said, oh my, I remember those days. I remember when I was under his anointing, but now he'd try to sing and he couldn't write. He just put his pen back down. He would try to pray, oh Lord, anoint me. Oh Lord, give me something. Give me something fresh. How many's ever been there? And yet he had come to that spot that his joy was gone. And it was as if though David was likening this to bones that had been broken. So he was not only dealing with a broken joy, but he was dealing with, as it were, a broken, broken bone. Both of you that have had them, you know how painful that it can be. 
So it's not only that he was likening it to a bone that was out of joint, but one that had been broken. Notice he says, whenever make me to hear joy and gladness. Now it wasn't that there wasn't happy things around him, but it was like he did not have the ability and the capacity to be able to receive them. What was it? His sin had so taken from him his joy of loving the Lord. And no doubt David was one of the happiest people you'd ever want to be around. People must have just loved to be around him. And he was constantly, as we'd say, maybe humming a song or singing a song. And just what the Lord had given him, you know, blessed be the Lord, blessed be his name, and blessed be his courts. And I'd rather live a, a day in the house of my God to live a thousand years in sin. And people would just marvel to be around him. And, and they was noticing being around David that he was just so quiet. He wasn't whistling anymore and he wasn't humming anymore and he wasn't singing anymore. And they just noticed he was really down and weary. Oh my, what a sad thing it must have been in the whole kingdom of Israel as they would talk about him, they'd come into Jerusalem and it was like something had hovered over the entire city. And this city was known for its splendor. It was known for its beauty, but it was also known because the king that was there was a great harpist and a great singer. And no doubt people would come from all over the kingdom just to hear David sing special songs. And they would just love to hear him do a concert. And one of his main musicians was a man by the name of Maskeel. And Maskeel was a very talented guy. Many of the psalms are written to different ones and they would take those psalms and the musical instruments. Oh, how the people must have just joyed when word would get out among the Jerusalemites and they'd say, David's singing today and David's playing and they'd say, oh, you mean King David himself? Yes, and they'd get all their instruments together and they'd set up somewhere in a court or in a park somewhere and David would pick up his harp and he'd go to strumming across through there and people that was oppressed and sad they just begin to feel better and their burdens would get lighter as David was trying taking his finger remember this was the same anointed man that began to play for King Saul when the spirit of the Lord had left him and the evil spirit troubled Saul and when David would picked up his string instruments and started raking across there that devil would leave him shame on you that don't believe in music and church Oh, hallelujah. But David would try to reach down and pick up his harp and say, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. And the people would think, when are we gonna have another concert, as we'd say? When is King David gonna sing another song? Oh, it's been forever since Maskeel told us that, that King David, uh, whether they're still playing and they're still singing, and we're asking, well, where's the king? Where's the king? Oh, he's really, he's really busy and... Uh, he just got a lot on him right now and he's uh, kind of low. But David was now feeling bruised and broken. Notice in verse nine he says, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. I find this amazing because this man in the Old Testament has a very wonderful perspective of how he's gonna have to be changed. 
He can't do it himself. No doubt he's done everything that the law would provide for him to get out of the slump that he's in. But he just can't do it. But he sees there's one way out. And that is a new creation. Create in me. Listen what he says. Create in me a clean heart. Now this is quite an admission. It's an admission, no doubt, that he thought he'd never have to make. That David has a heart that is corrupt and vile and wicked. No doubt her, he never thought he would ever be saying such a thing that my heart is not clean. My heart is not right before God. Boy, y'all are quiet this morning. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, God. Oh, hallelujah. It's defiled with sin. I'm the great singer of Israel. I'm the great joy bringer to the camp. I'm the Goliath slayer. I'm the bear killer. I'm the lion killer. But now I ain't got enough joy to even pick up a sword. I just feel so low and so despondent. God, I need your help. You think he didn't know it before now? He did. But he'd never been to where he is now. Or maybe some of you are the same place today. You've never been quite where you are. And you think, what do I do? Which way do I go? And one of the worst things you can do is go away from him. And one of the worst things you can do is go away from church. It always amazes me when people need help from the Lord and help from the body. And one of the first things Satan will try to do to them is pull them away from the word, pull them away from fellowship, isolate them, and then they go to getting colder and colder and more indifferent. You're gonna preach with me today. Now David is actually, he must come to the core of his problem. He must come to the spot that he's not blaming Bathsheba. He's not blaming the man who went and got Bathsheba. He's not blaming the captain of the guard. Why did you not stop me? He must come to the core of the problem that the problem is himself. And David realizes, even with an Old Testament perspective, which is marvelous to me, because the shedding of the blood of a lamb could never quicken a soul and make a soul realize how treacherous that he really was. This man had reached a great place under an Old Testament dispensation. And he had finally realized that even under the law, now remember there was no law, there was no sacrifice that accompanied the law that was an atonement for murder. Now there was a trespass offering, there was a peace offering, there was all kinds of different offerings designated for different things. And there was actually no offering that was given specifically for adultery. So if you commit adultery, then you get this particular offering and you do this and this and this. Or if you murder a man, you take this offering. There was no offering. So David said, what am I going to do? There's no particular offering designated for murder and for adultery. And I realize unless God changes me, 
I have the potential of doing the same thing again. Come on, let's be honest. Once you break over and do something wrong, it's much easier the next time to do the same thing or worse. So David had confronted himself and realized he needed supernatural help. The law couldn't do it. The law could not create. Now David is asking for something that will not be granted for thousands of years, but somehow that seed in him knew there's coming a day when people will be able to be recreated again. So he realizes he cannot clean his heart. He cannot change his nature. So watch, he says, renew, oh my, create in me a clean heart and then renew a right spirit within me, which is repair or to renew oneself. Now I want you to notice that he's saying this in the state that at one time he did have the right spirit. He had the right attitude and the right love for God, but something has happened, so he's not asking, he's not praying the sinner's prayer. He's praying as a backslider. I need to be renewed, refreshed in the presence of the Lord. And then he says, renew a right spirit in me. And the word right, it's not in the sense that you and I might think, but the word right is to be firm or to be stable to be established, to be fixed, or enduring. Now David is praying and asking God to clean him and create within him something that he did not have before and also asking him to give him a stability because he's broken over once and he's afraid he might do it again. So he's saying, God, give me a right spirit, a right attitude, an attitude which will be fixed on the foundation of your word that I will never do this again. Well, I hope you understand today that God granted at least this half of this prayer because we have no record David ever did this again. So there was something that become established inside of David. Now, literally, the translation here, right spirit, is constantly firm and not yielding to temptation. Notice in verse 11 that he says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. In my mind, I wonder, was he going back to the days of Saul? And did he remember how Saul got in such a terrible state? And hey, he becomes so beside himself that he had a flashback of Saul. God, don't take your spirit from me. Don't take your spirit from me the way you did from Saul. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now remember, they did not have it in the Old Testament the way we do by birth. But it was an anointing which would come on them. Remember the Bible speaking about Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the prophets and the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them. But as it came, so would it leave. It never came in their soul and changed their nature but it would anoint them to write, to prophesy, to do mighty works of God, and then it would leave them. And David saw how it left Saul. 
And his heart is so troubled, he's afraid now that God will take it from him. Oh God, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy, not of my salvation, but of thy salvation. Restore unto me a singer, a musician, a harpist, a man that wrote all oh, such beautiful words. I, I, I love to just read his words and just to hear him talk because he was a man that had tapped into a great source of God. Remember this man never went to college. He never graduated from Bible school, but he went to sheep school. He went out there to the school of nature and he was in the presence of God. You can tell the man had been divinely touched by the presence of God, but somehow this experience had so robbed him of his joy that he just couldn't write no more. He couldn't sing no more. And even the words, no doubt, that God had spoke through him, he would go back and reread them, and it's like it would just fall on, on ground that could not even give birth to it. It would no longer move them. He said, Lord, please restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Oh, Lord God. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Notice in verse 13. Then will I teach. I love this. Because he knows God is going to do it. Notice the way he says it. Maybe, possibly, perhaps. But he says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways. Now friends, that's all. He said, Brother Donnie, I've done wrong. I've done this or that. Yes, we all have. But we've got to have the confidence, Lord God, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to restore me. I'm asking you, God, to have mercy on me. And when you do, because I know you will, I will be a witness of your mercy. I will be a witness of your grace. Don't just wallow in your sin and don't just, while I've sinned, I might as well forget it. I might as well turn away. Don't you do that. You confess, no, God's gonna forgive me and when he does, I'm gonna go among the people and say the Lord can forgive you because he forgave me. Oh, hallelujah. Can't you hear it in his voice? It's the anticipation of forgiveness and restored joy. It's not yet there, but he anticipates it. And may I tell you, it did come. He's vowing to teach others. Now remember, God does not make us sin. And God does not lead any of us, never will God lead any of us to break his word. Never. I don't care who you are. Preacher, prophet, nobody. No. But then when we repent and make it right, God will take that thing and turn it around and God can use our fall, God can use our failures, our mistakes and display his grace. Amen. If we'll let him. Amen. I mean, seen him do it. Now, notice in verse 15, O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth, show, my mouth shall show forth thy praise. You imagine, Brother Jack, 
He couldn't even praise him no more. He's in a spot in his life that this man loved to worship. This man loved to praise God. But now he's so despondent, he needs God to even open his mouth. It's like he'd go to church. <sighs> Brother Lewis said, let's everybody praise the Lord. And it just, I ain't got nothing to praise him for. Well, I don't believe that from any of us is the truth. But you know what he meant? It's just like there was no fountain in there pushing the joy out. There was no fountain, it's just repeating words. How many in here besides me has ever worshiped the Lord out of routine? Well, I guess me and Harry and Brother Bert and just a few more is the only guilty ones. Well, you all pray for us, you little angels. Well, I have. I praise him and I didn't feel like it. I've worshiped him whenever I didn't feel like it. I preached to you time after time when I was so sick I couldn't hardly hold my head up. I was so weary and so exhausted and just so burdened I didn't feel like walking out the door to even take a text. But I done it. You've come to church, you didn't feel like it. Ain't that right? You've worshiped them, you didn't feel like it. But thank God those times don't last. But David was in this time and it seemed like it would never break away. Oh, listen to this, verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice. Else would I give it? Thou delightest not in burnt offering. Now he knows the law. He knows there's no burnt offering that'll expiate this sin. But he does know what it is. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. Now you realize if they offered a lamb, a turtle, love, a pigeon, whatever more they did, if it was not accompanied by a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, it was worthless. Oh my. When we mess up, God wants us to repent, yes, but not just words. He wants us to do it from a broken and a contrite heart and a broken spirit. I'm so wrong, Lord. Oh my, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise or turn down. Now, as great as the repentance of David is, this whole scenario is not changed because David knew how to repent. And how many agree with me he did? The man knew how to repent. The man knew how to make things right with God, but that was not the only reason we're gonna find a change in the scenario. Now, we're gonna get to Bathsheba, but I felt like we had to kind of get David saved again before we went on with the blessings of God on him and Bathsheba's marriage. So God is going to turn this around, but it is not just based upon David's ability to repent, but it is also tied further back than that. It is based on what I told you that the Lord had spoken to me a week before last when I woke up early one morning and I heard the voice of God say, the sure mercies of David. And I knew there was a scripture in the Bible, but I just couldn't recall what it was. So I said, Lord, don't let me forget this because it's about 2.30 or something like that in the morning. 
and I'm, I'm, I made it really weird. Whatever's the last thing on my mind when I go to sleep, whenever I wake up, it's the first thing that'll be on my mind when I wake up. So I committed it to that department in my quick recovery part of my brain. And then whenever I woke up about 5.30 or so, the next morning, sure enough, it was still there. So I got up and got my phone and typed it in. And I found what it was, but I still wasn't sure exactly what it was. The sure mercies of David. Now, God had made a covenant with, with Abraham. And God had made, of course, what we call the Adamic covenant in the Garden of Eden. And then after the fall, God made another covenant. And God has made covenants all down through the Bible. And God made one, of course, with Abraham. And it was a covenant that I will bless your seed. But David fit under the canopy as all the children of Israel fit under that canopy of the Abrahamic covenant. But God on the occasion would pick out certain of those Jews and make a further extension of that covenant with them. Set like this, he would modify the Abrahamic covenant in a more personal way to that individual. Now, David was one of those individuals. Now, one of the differences between Saul and David was they were both, of course, of the children of Israel, but God never made a covenant with Saul like he did with David. So Saul was under the Abrahamic covenant as David was, but David was under the Abrahamic covenant, but also the Davidic covenant. Everybody with me so far? 1 Samuel 13, 13, and Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. So now we see that Saul has been given a conditional status by which if he obeys God, then God will establish his kingdom forever. Not that Saul would live forever, but there would be of the seed of his body when he would die one of his sons would take him and he would die one of his sons would take it and it would go on for anion or space of time which is what the word forever means so it would go on and on and we know that King Saul actually reigned for 40 years but God knew what Saul would do when you look at Saul Saul was a perfect epitome and a type of the people of Israel at that time remember God did not want them to have a king in the first place and they was rebelling against his prophetic leadership through the prophets down through the times, is that right? So they rejected God and God gave them a leader which matched the way they were. Now you watch leaders and you'll see how they really are. You see the reason our nation is in the state that it is is because our leaders are a very anatype of the people that they're ruling. So they're liars, they're rebellious, they were, you know, dope heads and this and that and the other. So what are they doing? They're passing all these laws where they're legalizing marijuana and doing everything. Why? Because they, they sucked on them cigarettes whenever they was in high school. And now they're congressmen and senators. Well, don't get quiet on me. So what is it? The leaders reflect the desire of the people. You see, if the people of this assembly ever get to a spot, you don't want truth, you don't want righteousness, you don't want God's word, then God will give you a leader which will match your desire. But as long as you want truth and righteousness and purity, God, if I die, God will raise up another. And he dies, God will raise up another. As long as you want truth and righteousness and purity, God will always have a man before you that will preach you the truth. 
Why? Well, that's just the way God does. America wanted people like Abraham Lincoln and James Madison and different ones at that time frame. Would they want an Abraham Lincoln today? Of course not. The woke society, they'd kill Abraham Lincoln. He wouldn't have to worry about John Wilkes Booth. They'd get rid of him. Well, praise the Lord. So it's the same way with Saul. So Saul was the epitome of the people. He had a rebellious heart. He didn't know how to repent. Blaming other people, that was the way the children of Israel were. But when they come to the second generation of the kingship, now with David, the hearts of many of the children of Israel have now changed. So this is why God is searching a man after his own heart. Why? Because the people's hearts have changed. Don't you see why we needed a prophet of the heart? The Malachi 4 prophet was not a prophet of our heads, but a prophet of our hearts. Behold, I will send unto you Elijah the prophet, and he shall turn the hearts, not the heads. And if we as message people ever turn this message into a head message, guess what a lot of our preachers will be? They will be head preachers which is what's going on in our ranks right now. That's why they're against the Pentecostal experience. They're against emotion and shouting and praising God and they're going leaning more toward intellectualism. Why? Because many of the message people, that's what they want. But God still got some Holy Ghost anointed men that are preaching a new birth by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because we got people, that's what they want to hear. Well, praise the Lord. Now what? Saul would have been established forever if he would have been obedient. But look in verse 14. But now thy kingdom shall not continue on what basis? His disobedience. Had David had this same covenant, his kingdom would have stopped. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee based upon his behavior, his actions, what he did. And the Lord knew that. So the Lord had sought him a man which I find this amazing because the Lord sought him a man, but he was a boy. When others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. Whenever people see a man, a boy, God may see a man, a valiant soldier. So God sought him a man. Now notice he's not the epitome of the rebellious, the stubborn, the hard-headed, but he was a man after God's own heart. Read with me in Acts 13, 21. And afterward they desired a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, as I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Oh, wait a minute now. Whoa, 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 whoa. What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? 2 Samuel 7, 16. And thine house and thy kingdom, God speaking to David, 
shall be established forever. Uh-oh. I'd say the devil broke out in a cold sweat, wouldn't you? God never said this to Saul. Now remember, he's already under the Abrahamic covenant, but now God is making a covenant in particular. God made a covenant with the church for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That is a covenant of grace. But God made another covenant with the bride. Anyone who wants to be saved can be saved. But God made a covenant with her before you ever knew me. I foreordained you before the foundation of the world. And I have established you as being part of me before the world ever began. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Thy throne shall be established forever. Psalms 89.1. Maskil of Ethan, the Ephrazite. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth so I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David. My servant. Wow, so God has got a chosen among the chosen. I'm glad to be the chosen, but just to be honest with you, I'm glad to be the chosen among the chosen. Some folks are the frozen among the chosen, but I want to be the chosen among the chosen, don't you? Oh, well, that's what you get when you get, you know, six foot icicles in the pulpit and you get refrigerator preachers. What do you get? Ice cubes in the pews. Well, that's what refrigerators do. They, they make cold church members. They make cold church services. I'll tell you one thing. I, I, I don't want no cold church service myself. I'm not looking for ice cubes that you all sit there and sit there like this and never worship God and never move an eyebrow and never move your hands and never move nothing. And I stand up here and I rotate like this and then I rotate back this way. And if somebody brought a microwave to church, we'd all be scared to death because it would humble us all down and we would melt in the presence of the microwave. We're not looking for a microwave, but we're looking for the presence of the pillar of fire with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that'll come in and set us free and heal the sick and baptize with the Holy Ghost and save the lost, hallelujah, and we'll raise the dead one day and change our mortal bodies. So naturally that makes refrigerators and ice cubes quite uncomfortable. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David. Now you realize part of these are prophetic in a double way. Speaking to David, but also the messianic David. Well, let me just go ahead and drop it for you. You see, Joseph was of the lineage of David, but on the line of Solomon. 
And there was a king that was so vile and so rotten that God said, never again will I allow one of those seeds to sit on my throne. But Mary was also of Joseph, or of David rather. But she come from the Nathan line. Now Nathan was David and Bathsheba's third son, named after the prophet. Hallelujah. So God allows Christ Jesus to come through the Nathan side, not the Solomonic side. No doubt the devil thought when God said that in the Old Testament, I have destroyed the messianic prophecy. I have annihilated it because now the son of David can never be born. I have destroyed the Solomonic view, but God had it coming through another side, the bride side. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! He had it coming not through Joseph, but through Mary. Mary, hallelujah. Remember, she's the fifth woman in the genealogy of Christ written in Matthew. Luke records the Joseph side, but oh, Matthew records Mary's side, the bride's side. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> That's what you call Sovereignty. Sovereignty means that God can step in in urgent situations and bring his own word to pass in his own way and nothing can stop it. Well, glory be to God. That's the way you and I got saved. That's the way you and I got the Holy Ghost. That's the way you and I come to the word of the hour. That's the way we'll be raptured. Divine sovereignty will usher in the body change. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David, my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Selah. Verse 34, my covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. Isaiah 55.3, incline your ear and come unto me. Here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And this is after Uriah. This is after the incident with Bathsheba. How can this continue? Repentance. And a covenant to the chosen. 
among the chosen. <laughs> you see, the loving kindness and the extended mercies to David gives a covenant which can never be altered. Never. <laughs> it's the everlasting covenant. Notice in Psalms 130-11, the Lord has sworn in truth unto David and he will not turn from it of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. God, God, almighty God tells a man from your body I will come and sit on the throne. Then tell me how many devils out of hell could stop that? Well, let me just go ahead and say, I don't care how much David messed up. I don't care how many shortcomings David had. God would turn the man around. Now, did that mean that he could do whatever he wanted to do? Absolutely not. He paid and he paid for years. But that covenant cannot be broken. So is the covenant with the bride of Christ. It is a covenant that's just as eternal as he is himself. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. You see, the sure mercies of David are the loving and merciful promises that God will extend down into that messianic line to establish an everlasting kingdom that will never end and give peace and happiness to Israel. Notice in Acts 13, 33, speaking about the Lord Jesus being raised from the dead. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, and it is also written in the second psalm, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Oh. So the sure mercies of David from Isaiah 55, 3 extended right on down from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And when God raised up Christ from the dead, the sure mercies of David was continuing on. And you know why we're saved today? The sure mercies of David, not King David of the Old Testament, King Jesus of the New. But what is it? It's through the extension of the son of David, of the fruit of his body. Already he's sitting on the throne of our hearts this day. Through what? The sure mercies of David. Don't you understand? As the bride of Christ, how could the church ages go into such darkness they would put him out and he would still be merciful? The sure mercies of David. But not King David of the Old Testament, but the David of Acts chapter 13. What are we saved today? The sure mercies of of our David. Is it any wonder that whenever they come into the city and they needed something, they'd cry out, oh Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the sure mercies of David extended over the seal of Rome. When they rolled the stone over that grave and put the signet of Rome God said, I will extend the sure mercies of David. You imagine on that third morning, death checked in with Satan. Satan checked in with death. Hey, death, how is it? Everything's good. We're cool, our modern terminology. We're good. No shaking. Disciples are tore all to pieces. 
The church is divided 47 ways. Peter's going by fishing. The others are doing this, that, and the other. We're good. Hallelujah. But remember, God had said, of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. And I will extend the sure mercies of David unto you. But all of a sudden, I can see an eyebrow. Maybe a finger. What was it? David was waking up. Hallelujah. He had done, took a journey down into hell, of course, in the form of theophany. And he knocked on the door of gate, the gates of hell down there, preached to the souls that was in prison, went over to hell and knocked on the door of hell. And Satan come to the door and said, ah, oh, you have arrived, have you? He said, yes, I am here. My blood is still hot on Calvary, so well, I'm glad to see you. I thought I got you when I killed Abel. I thought I got you when I tried to kill them children down there under the reign of Pharaoh. I thought I got you when I got Jeremiah, but now I finally got you. Jesus could have come back and said, yeah, now that you've got me, what are you gonna do with me? Because you can't handle what I've got. So he reaches inside, hallelujah. He reaches inside and jerks the keys off of hell and Satan ain't even got the keys to his own house. And Jesus took the keys of death and hell and the grave and smoking and marijuana and depression and sadness and trouble and heartache. Why? The sure mercies of David are extended right up through the resurrection. Uh, Satan, how's it on your side? Oh, he's good. He paid me a little visit, took the keys. That's okay, we'll get some more made. But he kind of disappeared. I ain't seen him in a day or so. I'm not not sure exactly where he went, but all I do know was after he left here, I heard a bunch of shouting and screaming over in paradise, so I kind of figured he got amongst them holy rollers over there and they started having church. Hallelujah. Oh, that's the way it is when Jesus shows up. The prophet said there's always a bunch of noise where Jesus is. <laughs> oh, glory. You imagine knocking on the door and Abraham comes to the door and he opens the door. He said, Sarah, Sarah, come look, see who it is. It's him that come and met us that day. And Ezekiel got up and said, my Lord, it's that wheel in the middle of the wheel. And then Jeremiah said this, and I hear somebody way on the back said, make way, make way. My name is David. My name is David. Is that my son? Is that my Lord? Is that my resurrection? I have been waiting. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. What was God fixing to do? Extend the sure mercies of David through David. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So I actually finally got them calmed down a little bit. He said, now children, we're gonna make a little whistle stop. I need to stop up and see my young ones up there on the other side. Abraham said, is it okay if we walk around a little? Well, sure. Just go ahead, we'll meet again a couple of days. So Abraham and Sarah went down through Greer. You know, I mean, they could travel like a thought. 
So they thought about being in Greer, and there wasn't in Greer. And then the thing being back about, you know, Jerusalem, there there wasn't. Wow, what a beautiful land. He told me, hey, just something seriously. Yeah, this is something. You want to go by the cave of Mount Pila? No, I don't want to go back there. We've done been raised from the dead. <laughs> oh, what's he doing up there making himself known to his brothers? Matthew 27, 53. And the bodies of those saints which slept arose and entered with him in his resurrection. The sure mercies of David went beyond a natural throne. It went into hell. It went into paradise and emptied it out. Paradise has had a for lease sign on it for 2,000 years. Nobody else needs to go there. Hallelujah. Why? The sure mercies of David. I once was lost, but now I'm found. How am I found? The sure mercies of David. You was blind, now you see. How? The sure mercies of David. Not King David of the Old Testament, but Jesus David. Oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Let me share a few more things with you before we close. Watch this. Years and years even hundreds of years after David is gone, David is the model by which kings are judged. <laughs> First Kings eleven four, and it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David, his father. David was the king standard. First Kings eleven six. Solomon did even on the side of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David, his father. This is after repentance. For those of you that have done terrible wrongs and you feel like you can never be the same, you can never be restored. That's a lie of the devil. This is after Bathsheba. This is after Uriah. Why? An everlasting covenant. First Kings 11, 11, Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, Forasmuch as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant, my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it unto thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake. God is still doing things because of his friendship with David. And David ain't even here no more. Wouldn't that be an awesome testimony to have? That you live your life and you complete your life and you finish it and you're gone in the sixth dimension and you've been gone from the earth for years and God is still doing things based upon your friendship. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I was laying stone over at the church the other day and I was up there praying, praying for different folks that was sick, just loving the Lord, just worshiping Him, just praising Him. And the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, My bride is deity. She is part of my Godhead. 
I reacted about like you. Lord have mercy. Until I wiped mortar off my hands, wiped it off on my britches, got my phone, tapped in deity in you. First sermon, I find it. Deity of Jesus Christ, 1949. Deity is no longer in heaven, but it's in you. Deity is not in a manger, but it's in you. No wonder he has a covenant with you. This is why hell hates you. Oh, hell hated Saul. Hell hated many of these kings. But can you imagine how hell hated David? If he could stop that seed coming through David, he could stop the Messiah. If he can stop there being a bride in every age, there cannot be a rapture. Don't you see the rapture is not a word. It's an event concerning people of the book. So if Satan can pull people in every generation away from the word and if he will not have a bride to present himself, there's no need in having a rapture. But he's done on notice. It's done too late. I said it's done too late. Hallelujah. It's done been declared in the world. There is going to be a rapture. Hallelujah. It's in the future to be. That's what believers believe. Oh my. Notice this in verse 12. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Verse 13. Howbeit I will rend away. Notice how he says it. All the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Verse 34. Howbeit I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand. Now notice, one king after another after another. Isn't it amazing that through this Davidic line, it's like Satan bombards them, bombards them with evil and wickedness. Why is it? Satan knows that's the line that the Messiah is supposed to come through. So he tries to corrupt every one of them and nearly done it. Well, praise the Lord. Go ahead, devil. You might as well get out your white flag and surrender because the end's already been declared in this battle and we win. (laughs) Woo! Glory! We can read in the back of the book, we win this war. Howbeit I'll not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David, my servant's sake, whom I chose. Verse 35, but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it to thee, even 10 tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe that David, my servant, may have a light always before me in Jerusalem. Well, Satan challenged Billy Graham's message, no doubt. No doubt when Oral Roberts started out sincere, this, that, the other men, these other men, Satan challenged him. But there ain't never been a challenge like against this Malachi 4 message. Why? It's the bride message. It's the body changing message. But God has reserved himself a seed for the rapture. 
which will be a light not only before him, but before that prophet of Malachi 4. Every preacher that's still standing up in the pulpit and preaching the truth is a light in Johnson City, a light down in Minden, Louisiana, a light up in Chicago, a light in Harare, Zimbabwe, a light in Kenya, a light in Tanzania, a light all around the world. So instead of one man going around, now God's got men everywhere. Churches sprout up everywhere. Brothers, I just talked to someone yesterday, Brother Barry Coffey there in Tanzania, talked to his son. And right now they're going out among the village people. The Messiah is the name of Maybe you may not know their culture, but they're right there in the Masai and they went out and drove like eight hours to get out in a village of 30 or 40 of them and they've received the message of the hour. You imagine there's a light right out in the middle of Tanzania, out in the middle of Kenya, out in the middle of nowhere. Hallelujah. They ain't got no electricity. They ain't got no air conditioners. They ain't got no television. Thank God. They ain't got no internet, but somehow somebody took the gospel of the end time and God's got a light out there in the Masai Mara. God's got a light in Johnson City in the holiday here. God's got a light over here, over there, over there, over there. Why? Because he will not allow his word to fall to the ground. He's saving the end time word for his prophet's sake and for his son's sake and for his name's sake. First Kings 4, 7, go tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, for as much as I exalted thee from among the people and made thee prince over my people Israel, and rent the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to thee, yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, who followed me with all his heart to do only that which was right in mine eyes. What? How can God say that? Some of y'all are happy today now, ain't you? We got, we got David redeemed. Y'all can leave out here shouting. <laughs> say, praise God, I always wanted to meet him. You'll meet him. God said he always done that. Which right. How can God say such a thing? The power of a repentant believer with an everlasting covenant. Friends, if God had not ordained, there would not be a bride. Brother Bram said he would be a mighty discouraged person if he did not believe in election or predestination. If God had not ordained it this way, Satan would have absolutely contaminated every one of us. Don't stand there look at me like you're some self-righteous something or other. Look at all of our mistakes and our shortcomings. I ain't talking about when you as a sinner. I'm talking about since you got saved. <laughs> Many of you since you got the Holy Ghost. Why can't he take us? The same reason that he couldn't. That day, right down the road a few miles, he went and created a body and put on humanity. Gabriel, Michael, and they start walking up the road. Prophet tells us, and is there anything too hard for the Lord and tell us in 1960? Let's just say that Sarah got up that day in a bad mood. There's running out of food for the cattle, and the water was low, and all kinds of things going on. She told Abraham, she said, Abraham, I seen Miss Lot down there the other day. Why she had some of the nicest dresses and she had this and that. And that that caravan from Hollywood. 
Egypt, Hollywood, same thing. That caravan, I mean, they, they took this nest. And I, I want you to look at me. I mean, here I am. I've got a lot. Well, I had this old long hair, and I've got this long dress, and I've got this, that, and other. He said, little did she know the Lord was coming right up the road. So here he comes, and whenever he speaks, Abraham hears it. That's the voice I've heard all my life. And Sarah, like the bride, laughed. And God said, why did Sarah laugh? She said, I never done it. You mean call God a liar to his face? The prophet said, why didn't God kill her? Because her her husband had a covenant. You know why Donnie Reagan ain't done dead? You know why y'all ain't done dead, wiped off the earth? Because our husband has a covenant. Our Lord Jesus is our covenant maker and our covenant keeper. Don't you love him today? The sure mercies of David. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, as we contemplate the things that we've heard today, we're asking you, Lord Jesus, that you would help us. Lord, we have all fallen short of your glory so many times. Sometimes in the midst of trials and tests, we've tried to believe and yet fear would overwhelm us. and We would worry that you wouldn't show up or a doctor's report would give us a bad scan or a bad test and fear would grip our hearts. But you were merciful to us. Sometimes we act like you've never even moved for us before and yet you've moved thousands of times in our lives. We thank you for it. We thank you your forgiveness extends to us, Lord, even when we fail to believe. Help us, Jesus. Lord God, I pray for those that are here present, those that have streamed the service, maybe some sick, some weary. Maybe, Lord, there's some that actually find themselves in that state, similar to David. Maybe they haven't done what he did, but they just find church is such a burden for them. Living for you is such a difficult thing. Lord, they don't want to go to hell. They don't want to be lost. But they feel like they're acting. They feel like they're just putting on something because they're just having to press and press. May they be able to scan and search their heart today and say like David did, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Lord God, open our ears that we can hear joy. A preacher can preach until he blew in the faces, we would say. But if our ears aren't open to hear those words and those quotes and scriptures to lift us up, it won't do us any good. Help us, Father. Would you move among us today, Lord? Father, we pray for those that are sick. We know we have different ones with COVID, flu, various things. Some, Lord, uh, fever and just so much going around. God, we pray for each of them today. Father God, in the name of Jesus, may the sure mercies of David of the New Testament be extended to us. Hallelujah. We know, Lord, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We know, Lord Jesus, after the great marriage supper, The bride and the groom have been united by an invisible union. We know that. 
But one day we will be united physically in that we will have a body like yours. When we finally arrive in that flesh, glorified flesh, the product of that union between the bride and the groom will be the millennium. The son of David. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We know, Lord, that after David repented and made this thing as right as he could make it in the Old Testament, then the Bible says David went unto his wife Bathsheba to comfort her. And you gave them a son. And she called his name Solomon. But you renamed him. And you called him Jedediah. Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. He was called five or six different titles, we know, in the Old Testament. He called himself the preacher. Referred to himself as Lemuel different names, titles. Lord, we know one day after our union has been consummated, the son of David will set up his throne upon the earth and we will walk out on the ashes of the wicked. The millennium could not be produced after the opening of the seals. The millennium could not happen after we got the Holy Ghost. It had to happen after the marriage supper of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Solomon could not have been the firstborn because she called him the son of her vows. But her first child was born under broken vows. But Solomon was the son of her vows. Glory to God, so is the millennium the product of the vows between the bride and the groom and the vows you made to the son of David in Psalms. Ask of me for thine inheritance, the heathen, and I will give it thee. And you will sit upon the throne of David. And it's awesome to think about. You will be there the king. And the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that David himself will be among us, a prince. So the Davidic covenant will be lived right out in the millennium. So we'll go up to the throne and be worshiping and praising. And there will come King David. I'm sure Harry's going to be there and all these musicians and all the musicians down through time that's played for you. But boy, how they'll want to lay down their organs and their guitars and their steels and whatever more. When little David comes up and said, Brothers, y'all join me here. Let's play a millennium song. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then old David will have to walk away from the throne and look back at the throne. And there will set the Lord Jesus in a glorified body. Hallelujah. And he will be called the Son of David. What an honor that David will walk among us and we'll go around shaking his hand, hugging his neck and calling him Prince. And we'll say, David, you want to go up to worship the David? he say, yeah, let's go up and worship David. Praise the Lord. Lord, this is not a fairy tale. It's a true reality of your word. May there not be a one of us missing 
But that day, Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord God. Praise the Lord God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Can we just raise our hands in the presence of the King? Friends, think of what awaits us. My, just last Sunday, a week ago today, Brother Andrew and I left and after service and went up to see Brother Eugene. Spent some time with him and his family there. About 20 minutes after leaving, Brother Ryan called me and said that he'd passed. So I was going down the road, Brother Andrew and myself. I said, buddy, you imagine. As soon as he went out of that body, moving over into a theophany. He wouldn't come back here among us today for nothing in this world. We so loved our brethren, so appreciate his stand, don't we? What a great, gallant soldier that he was. We want to continue to pray for his family, of course, Sister Janet and his sons, church family, that God would just be with them. I don't believe it's going to be long. We're going to meet him again. I'll tell you one thing. We're getting more over there than we've got left here. Lord, hasten the day. Sing some for us, Harry. Can we just worship a little bit before we go? Hallelujah. Or you say, Brother Donnie, I've fallen so short. I understand. Yeah, Yeah, I understand. But go back to him. Ask him for his mercy, for his kindness. You can be a testimony as David. You can say, I will help backsliders. I, I, I will tell someone who's down, someone that's weary, there is a way back. I am a testimony of such. Is that what you want to be for the Lord? A testimony. And better than that, don't even backslide. Just stay on fire for him. Some will have that testimony. Others will have the testimony, God's grace kept me. Satan tried to overwhelm me, Brother Burt, but the Spirit of God, give me strength in the time of duress and trouble. Let's just worship him a bit before we go. Creating me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
today, Lord God. Hallelujah. The joy, troubles, difficulties, heartaches, the burdens of life tried to steal from us, Lord God. Lord, sing it, children. What's all your heart? Maybe you haven't done what David did. Maybe it's just life's everyday's responsibilities. It's just singing. Restore. Oh, restore. Renew. Bring back. Create. Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus. Grant it, Lord God.
worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord God. We bless your name, Father. We bless your name, Lord God. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord God. Thank you, Father. And I'm no longer a slave. We worship you, Lord God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Because I am a child. I'm a child of God. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. I'm no longer a slave to fear. To fear. Mm, I am Thank you, Jesus. All this loving children. Praise him right out of your valley, your door. I'm no Let him open your heart to show. Let him open your heart to worship. Let him open your heart to obedience to his word. I'm a With a melody, melody, you surround me with a song Hallelujah. Hallelujah. of deliverance from my enemies till all my fear, fear is gone. And I'm no longer. To fear. Oh, no, Lord God, hallelujah. Oh, I, Bless your name, I'm Jesus. A child. Bless your name, Jesus. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Because I am a child. From my mother's womb. Have chosen me, your love has called my name. I've been born again to a family, your love flows through my veins, and I'm no
Bless your name, Lord Jesus. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Can we just worship him? Can you imagine how David must have felt when finally his joy come back? His song come back. He picked up his harp again and started tuning his strings and strummed the sound. And there it was again. The spark was back in the music. He picked up his pen and the melody and the words and they began to flow again. Oh, we all know what that's like. Maybe you need a renewing today in the presence of the Lord. I may say, Brother Donnie, I feel like that's what I need. Just raise your hand there to the Lord. Let's just reach out to him. I believe he's here right now. Let's reach out to him as he passes by. You'll find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. Why don't you just reach out and touch him, can we? If you need healing in your body, deliverance, Satan putting fear, bondage, whatever it is on you, just let him know, Satan, you're a liar. I'm tired of listening to your lies. I've heard the sermon from a man of God today anointed by the Holy Ghost. I'm free. I'm free. Reach out and touch the Lord as He goes by. singing now as we worship. Reach out and touch the Lord as we everybody again, all of us together. Oh, reach out Oh, 